This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Hi, it's John Moore, and this is The Breakfast Wrap for Friday, May 26. A beautiful day, sunny and 20 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, gas prices up another three cents a liter. Number two, pride gets slammed by insurance and policing costs. Number three, downtown Toronto fails to rebound from COVID. Number four, 99% of long-term care homes now have in-room air conditioning. And number five, a man is arrested after opening the door of a plane that is landing in South Korea. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Well, that's a nice jolly start to your Friday morning. Assuming it starts here. I was uh, doing an event last night and I had somebody say, I listen to you from five after five. I said, what are you doing at five after five? And she said, I'm driving my son to rowing on Lake Ontario. I thought, okay. She said, my son and I listen to you. So good morning. And I hope the rowing is fine because the weather is uh, mighty fine today. As you heard from Ashley Legasic, we've got sunshine today and 20, sunshine tomorrow and 23, sunshine on Sunday and 24. Now, I could claim to be somewhat exhausted from hosting an event last night. And I am, but I guess I got to take it on the nose for the fact that it was a beautiful day for golfing yesterday. It was like sunny. It was cold. It's like sunny and 17, but I went to see my friends at uh, Flemington and to boot, it all depends on how long you've been listening to the show because the evidence is that more and more people are listening to the show. We've been doing this since 2009, but we had a contest some years ago called the People's Voice Award. And the way it worked was listeners would call in and they would have to leave a two-minute editorial about something. And we ended up with a short list of finalists. And the guy who won was James Laidlaw. And originally it was supposed to work out, first of all, the prize was amazing. I I forget, it was like $5,000 or something like that. And originally I think we guaranteed you like, yeah, you could be on panels for a couple of months. And James Laidlaw stayed with us for like five or six years. And then he became this fabulously successful businessman. And he said, I'm too busy now. Um, But I still like to stay in touch with James. And actually yesterday he promised for those who remember, I mean, James is the guy and it being 5.11 in the morning, I guess I can say this out loud on the radio. Uh, I mean, it was 7.59 when he said it on the air, we were talking about some story and he said, here's some advice, just don't be a dick. And I thought, yeah, you know what? And, and he has that written on the wall of his, uh, his headquarters. Uh, so anyway, out golfing with James yesterday, hosting for my friends at uh, Face the Future last night. Talk about that more later because their latest mission, as you'll remember, because Dr. Peter Adamson, who created the charity and still is pretty well its uh, captain or general, um, he, the, the latest mission was to Ukraine, and last night they showed us an awful lot about it. And it was pretty devastating to see these people, these Ukrainian soldiers and civilians who have been injured by shrapnel and explosions and bullets and, you know, all thanks to Vladimir Putin's misguided adventure into Ukraine. 
But listen, let's start digging into the news. And if you're on the road and you take note of these things as you're driving along, the price of gas is up again. So we're definitely on an upward trend. As a matter of fact, Dan McTagg, the guy who is sort of the amazing Kreskin of gas predictions, says he expects the gas is going to be a buck 80 by June. I think towards the beginning, the second week of June, a 15 cent to the upside correction. So we could be looking at 180, 185 by mid-June. Meanwhile, there was another mayor's debate yesterday, and we'll unpack some of the aspects of it as the show continues. But one thing is perfectly clear, that it is starting to be all about trying to take down, and why wouldn't you, uh, Olivia Chow. And I don't mean that out of, like, you know, politics uh, or, or saying that Olivia Chow is an unworthy candidate. What I'm saying is she has a lead, a very major lead over all the other candidates. And if they want to get anywhere, they're going to have to take her out. So Mark Saunders, former police chief, who I felt was overly passive in one of the debates I watched the other day, um, was a little bit more aggressive in his approach. When we talk about budget, if we're going to ask Ms. Chow about fiscal responsibility, I'll tell you right now, grab your popcorn, because you'll never hear how much of an increase of taxes. So the thing is, as much as he goes after Olivia Chow over taxes and Brad Bradford does the same thing, everybody reels around and goes after the chief on his record. And as a matter of fact, I think Ben Spur has some great coverage today because he writes about the fact that almost everybody who is considered a leading candidate, stuff that ain't going right in this town happened on their watch. You know, Brad Bradford has been a city councillor. Um, Anna Bailao has not been a city councillor, but was previously, and she's not a current sitting, sitting uh, city councillor. Um, but the chief in particular can be considered vulnerable because whenever people say, you know what, things are falling apart in this town and there's crime and disorder and uh, needles on the ground and nobody can go to a park. And it's like, you only stepped out of being the chief of police. And we talked about this the day that he declared on our show. You've only not been the chief of police for less than two years, if I'm not mistaken. I got to look, look back at it because we had um, Mark Saunders was extended while they were searching for a new chief. And then up out of nowhere, he quit or retired early, depending on how you want to frame it. Then we had the interim chief of police who, much like the interim mayor we currently have, people, I think, kind of liked. And maybe part of being good at a political job is when you're not political because you're not lobbying to keep the job. You're just doing it. I think that's why Jennifer McKelvey is doing a pretty good job. I think that's why the interim chief did a good job. Um, but yeah, people are definitely going after Mark Saunders' record as the chief of police. Lots of other things to talk about today, including we've seen the video, but we're trying to track down the video that we have rights to. Joe, have you been able to find it? I, I posted a version from a South Korean news site that I found. Okay. I don't know if it was the right thing to do, but it's there. Well, you know what? I don't think anybody in South Korea is going to, well, there's a radio station in Toronto with our video on their website. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. It's 520, and that's the video I was referring to which uh, Joe Cristiano says he's uh, obtained from a Korean website, and so it's on our social media platforms. 
Um, I saw it on CNN, so I guess a lot of people have been uh, poaching it. But it is an extraordinary amateur video shot on a cell phone. And apparently what happened was this plane, which was an Airbus, was coming in for a landing. It was only about 200 feet off the ground at the time. So it's not an air pressure pressure situation. Um, but some guy opens the door, which I didn't think. And I know there's a lot of aviation people who listen to the show on their way to the airports in the morning. Uh, so maybe you can offer me some insight. But I thought those doors had some sort of a, a lock on them that only a flight attendant would be able to over override. But apparently this guy opened the door and then you see these people. And because the plane was landing, everybody is, is belted. But you can see the level of, you know, Air Force as their hair swirls around their heads. Uh, their faces are obscured. So I don't know if it's like that famous picture I used to remember when I was a kid of a guy who is, uh, I think he's like strapped in a chair and he's in a wind tunnel or whatever. And they, they crank the velocity of the wind to such a level that his mouth is wide open. You could probably push a grapefruit into it and without difficulty. Uh, what doesn't seem to be that bad, but still how terrifying and unnecessary. And you just have to think like, why, why do some people feel that they need to endanger other people? I mean, I get it. This man was probably in some sort of a mental crisis, but I think our tolerance these days for misbehaviors by people who are in crisis has reached perhaps a highest, uh, you know, a higher threshold than, than they necessarily deserve. No, well, I was going to say nobody was hurt, but nine people were taken to hospital. Several of them were, were kids who were on a school trip and the guy responsible was arrested. Let's get to this story about pride because it's certainly a story we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, let's see who's on patrol today on the morning brief. Deb Hutton. Deb Hutton. You know, I, I guess it's turning into a cliche. I'll check out who's on the morning brief and I'll say, well, that person always has incisive insight, but that's why they're on the morning brief. Um, but I always appreciate Deb Hutton's contributions, particularly because there is a level of exasperation she often expresses about some of the stories we're unpacking. And then, of course, it'll be on the roundtable at 7.45 and 8.45. But here's the problem. Once again, and, you know, I can't speak to how they run things at Pride, but it seems almost every year we declare a crisis three weeks before Pride and days before the beginning of Pride Month, whether it's over police officers, whether it's over finances, um, you know, I mean, we had COVID obviously, so, you know, they can't be blamed for that. Um, but here's the problem. And the head of Pride, the executive director of Pride, Sherwin Modest, is going to be joining us on the show this morning. But they've been whacked with two bills way higher than they expected. Um, in 2022, policing and security cost Pride just over $62,000. This year, the organization is being billed $182,000. Uh, so the cost of policing is up. One expert says, well, yeah, it's because a new contract kicked in. And so it's, you know, 14% more than last year. But I'm pretty sure if I could, I'll whip out the calculator a little later. 
pretty sure that this policing bill is higher. Police also insist, though, that Pride has a bigger footprint geographically this year, and there may be more events that need to be policed. So that would explain things. Then you get into the insurance bill, and the insurance bill is significantly higher. And that's where you start to wonder whether or not this has some connection to the fact that there is almost a rebellion on in the United States. I mean, they're losing their minds. They're, you know, going after Target for having pride-themed clothing. They lost their minds over Bud, and all Bud Light did was they engaged a whole bunch of influencers so they could niche market to various communities, and one of them was a trans person, and great big deal. What did they do? What people do when they're doing niche marketing and social media marketing these days, and that is they uh, put her face on a can of beer, and then she made uh, a video about it, and next thing you know, was a kid rock was shooting at uh, beer cans? I mean, there is a level of hostility and a false narrative right now in the States, and it is bleeding into Canada. And the false narrative is that the very existence of trans people and gay people and drag queens is somehow a threat to somebody who just doesn't really like that. And you know what? If you don't like pride, stay home. If you don't like drag queens reading to children from books, then don't take your children to the library when a drag queen is reading from books. And I guess the ultimate false narrative that always drives me crazy is the idea that we need to be tolerant of intolerance, that we need, that inclusiveness means acknowledging that some people hate you. And while you can't acknowledge that, you don't have to ratify it. So, uh, Pride, we're going to talk with uh, a few stakeholders about that. And uh, it's unfortunate because it's a major event in our city and it's a major tourist attraction, an incredible tourist attraction, actually. Not a lot of people come here for the Santa Claus Parade. A lot of people come here for Pride. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. It's a sweet, sweet Friday! Oh, had we failed to declare that? All right. So uh, Nick Marano is back. You were on a, uh, a Florida escape. Bit of work, a bit of leisure. Yeah, a little bit of both. It was fun. Yeah. Roy and I were invited to the Fort Myers Film Festival, so no, there weren't any A-listers there. <laughs> and uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, they really uh, treated us nicely, and we interviewed uh, several filmmakers. And uh, we're going to roll those interviews over the course of the next several weeks on our show. But That's what I was going to ask you, if we're going to hear that stuff on your show. Yeah, we will. And, and uh, I mean, short films, independent films, I mean, the Fort Myers Film Festival is nowhere near the Toronto Film Festival, naturally. But for a, a smaller city and a smaller venue, they did a nice job. Uh, people were really happy with how it all turned out. And you can't beat the weather. It's really, really nice down there. Yeah, you know what? I would love to go to Fort Myers because it's great golf, and I have a friend who's always telling me about Sanibel Island. Uh, but the problem is Florida's gone so crazy. There are, just, are, at the moment, I can't do it. Well, not only politically, but even in some parts, you still see some remnants of Hurricane Ian. 
Fort Myers Beach is still not completely built up. In fact, the Joseph's Flatland. So as I'm driving through, my friend Roy, like we're looking at, oh, what happened there? He goes, well, that's still from Ian and other places. They rebuilt everything. So it's a little bit of everything down there. All right. Well, it's nice to have you back, and I'm glad you had a good and relaxing time. Was, and uh, you were able to generate some content that we're yeah, going to hear. which is great. But the other thing I have to say, though, everyone's uh, you know talking about airline delays. But I think... Not to sound like the transportation minister, but a lot of the times it's the passengers who cause the delays. By opening the door on landing, you mean? Well, that's, you know, they just needed some fresh air. But, you know, they're asking people, we don't have enough room to uh, to have your carry-on, so check your baggage. They wait to the last minute, now the flight's delayed. Only zone one, we're boarding only zone one, and people in two and three are clogging up the lane. So that causes the delays. Now we're 20 minutes late taking off, and you can't blame the airline for that. Well, I have to say, one of my pet peeves is... When, upon landing, you get to the gate, they ring the chimes, everybody undoes their belts, and then you have to get off the plane, obviously. And everybody waits until the row in front of them has cleared to stand up, open the bin, and remove their luggage, and then remove their jacket and put on their jacket. And it's like, could you not have done that before? Anyway. That's because you're flying a Canadian flight. If you're on an American flight, the second that plane is done, there people are already clamoring to open the overheads and get out the door, jump over each other, try to push to the front. Yeah. I always wish that a plane had a seam along the top and both sides would just open up, you know, like a a blossoming flower. And then everybody could get off at the same time. And use uh, the Canada arm to do it. There you go. All right. So you've heard about this program before, because I think it's been around for a couple of years where... You give permission. So libertarians, you can back off. You don't have to do this if you don't want to. Uh, But you can give permission for your smart thermostat to be integrated into some sort of computer-run system. And on days where we're running out of electricity, your thermostat will be turned up because it's all about air conditioning, right? So basically your air conditioning will be turned down. And the thing is, if that happens, then you're going to be spending less money on air conditioning. And you may not even be home at the time that it happens. I mean, in our home, uh, both heat and air conditioning are controlled to such an extent that if nobody's in the house, then we don't we don't do it. Um, but now there's an additional contribution, I guess you could say. It'd be a $75 prepaid electronic MasterCard, which would be sent to anybody who signs up at saveonenergy.ca. And then in 2024 and 2025, they'll get $20 prepaid cards. Now, the one question I always have about stuff like this, it's kind of like when you read about a cell phone provider saying, we're going to offer three months for free if you sign up now. And it's like, well, I'm already your client. So what about me? Um, so I'm wondering, for those who have been taking, a, taking part in this program, if there's any kind of benefit outside of the fact that, yes, you will spend less on air conditioning if you decide to get into it. And, you know, all of this is about the trying to not flatline, because we're never going to flatline, but trying to take the peaks and valleys out of electricity consumption. Because what happens is this, there's the baseline amount of electricity that is provided by nuclear plants. And you can't fool around with that because the plant can't be turned off. But on a summer's day where everybody gets home from work, well, 
Who's working outside of the home anymore? Lots of people. Everybody gets home. Everybody turns on the air conditioning. Everybody starts cooking and turns on the TV and all of that stuff. And so then you got to fire up the gas plants. So if there is a means of lowering the aggregate electrical consumption for a couple of hours, then you can balance out that particular peak and we turn on fewer gas plants, if any. Now, speaking of air conditioning, nearly 99% of the nursing homes in Ontario, we are told, now have air conditioning in resident rooms. You may remember the government made this a policy, I think it was before last summer, uh, that everybody had to have in-room air conditioning. Because there were a lot of places where they said, no, you know, we don't have in-room air conditioning, and, um, but people can go to a public room. And, you know, if you're living in a senior's home, don't you want to have the option of choosing to withdraw from all of that chaos and just have your own room to yourself and do whatever it is you wanted to do? Now, uh, two homes have electrical capacity issues, and that's understandable. They're being redeveloped. They eventually will have in-room AC. And the government has granted exemptions to eight homes, um, but recently fined a ninth one. So um, remember Jerry Diaz? Whenever people get charged with something, everybody loses their mind. But there's a reason why we say the two expressions you keep coming back to, which are allegedly, although allegedly, I don't know if you've noticed lately, way overused. Like somebody is not injured allegedly in a car accident. You know, the car is not liable. Um, they were injured in a car accident. People do that all the time. He was allegedly murdered. My favorite was a traffic report on another radio station where somebody said that the exit ramp from the QEW was allegedly closed. Uh, but we use allegedly, and uh, sometimes people salt in the expression, uh, not yet proven in court. But Jerry Diaz, I think people were very eager to think, some people anyway, that charges that he had done something untoward were true because there there are still people who feel that anything they can do to discredit discredit unions and union leadership is to their advantage so doesn't mean that whatever he was accused of never happened but he's in the clear so no charges have been laid against Jerry Diaz, although there was an aspect of intrigue and mystery to all of this, because as all of this stuff was coming to light, he was checking himself into rehab, allegedly. Here we go on this Friday morning. Let's get into what Toronto's talking about now. And for that, we're joined by News Talk 1010's John Moore. John, happy Friday. Unfortunately, we're starting off with some uh, rather uh, shocking news. A man was taken to hospital after being stabbed in Lawrence Heights, and he got help from a bus driver. Well, that's just it. How many people can say that they, uh, you know, a stab victim who ended up on a bus being transported to the hospital? We wish this individual well. Don't know the circumstances of how uh, this individual was stabbed, but it happened around Lawrence Avenue West and Bolingbrook Road just after 9.30 p.m. And then, as mentioned, the guy got on a TTC bus and then he was transferred over at the Lawrence West subway station to ambulance paramedics. And he was originally in life-threatening condition, uh, apparently now stable.
Okay, well, we'll see where that goes. In the meantime, uh, we know everything, the price of everything's really gone up. Inflation is a topic we've talked about time and time again on your program and ours, John. But Toronto Pride organizers shocked at soaring not only security, but insurance costs uh, ahead of Toronto Pride this year. Yeah, and I suppose some of this might be inflation. Some of it is the fact that police officers make more this year than they did last year. But it looks like a bit of a crisis for Toronto mm -hmm. Pride because in 2022, uh, security and policing cost $62,000, and now it's looking like it's going to be $182,000. And the real thing here is insurance rates, which have gone up enormously. And you have to wonder, and I don't know if we'll ever know for sure, how much of this has to do with the fact that something like Pride is now seen like like a more mm -hmm. threatened event, given mm -hmm. things that are going on in the United States these days. But I know you guys are talking with the head of Pride. We'll be talking with the head of Pride as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and some of the mayoral candidates were asked about it last mm -hmm. night. Uh, turning to this now, uh, who knows if it's the work-from-home model, but Toronto's downtown recovery is still stalled compared to other cities. Some great work by Natalie Johnson as part of an ongoing uh, series she's been doing about sort of the status of Toronto. And I think the timing of this series is great with the mayor's election underway. Uh, but we are actually 55th on the list of North American cities in terms of bounce back. And we're at 47% capacity in the downtown. Uh, that's a real threat to restaurants and commerce. And people keep coming back to this expression, death spiral. And the problem is, you know, if the restaurant doesn't get reservations, the mm -hmm. restaurant uh, cuts back on hours, then it gets fewer reservations, and then it ends up going out of business. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely not a good thing. And her series on CTV Toronto really is sort of shining a spotlight on that, John. Uh, also, here's another interesting uh, thing, the, the thing the province has announced. Ontario handing out prepaid credit cards for people with smart thermostats. Really, it's all about energy conservation and putting a little more money in people's pockets. You got to volunteer to be a part of this program, but if you want in, you're actually going to save on electricity and you'll get this $75 credit card. Mm. The way that it works is your smart thermostat is integrated into a computer system, so at times where there's peak demand for electricity, the system will ratchet up the temperature in your home. And, you know, like I said, it's entirely voluntary and it's a great way to try and even out the flow of electricity in the province, but you may sweat. Mm. Mm, yeah, that's very interesting. That's like when you go on an Uber app and it tells you uh, when the rates are cheapest or something like that, or Waze telling you the traffic time. And they're yeah. launching it in a sort of relatively temperate time of year. If you launch this in July, uh -huh. you're going to get three people <laughs> signing up yeah. as compared yeah. to now when it's kind of like, okay, I can open the windows. Yeah. Okay, John, yeah. we always end with something a little more interesting, somewhat shocking at times too, but a man has been arrested after opening the door as a plane prepared to land in South Korea. This is terrifying and riveting in terms of video at the same time, but it was an Airbus 321. It was about 200 feet off the ground, so we don't have an air pressure situation. Mm. But the guy opens the door, we don't know why, and you can see uh, the passengers being buffeted around by these incredible winds and their hair flying oh. and stuff flying through the cabin at the same time. Uh, nine people were taken to hospital, no one with serious injuries, but the individual has been arrested, and I guess motive to be revealed. Yeah, I mean, motive and just how this was, you know, it was able to happen. Yeah. I realize everyone sort of buckled in, including the flight crew at that mm -hmm. point as well. But to think that someone, I mean, we've all flown before, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the idea of opening a plane door does not Wallets. look like, it's not like a, a latch. No, right? it's a bit of a complicated, so that's, that's just yeah. shocking. Wow. John, listen, always great to talk to you. It's good to have uh, kind of all three of us talking now mm -hmm. on this sort of yeah. new format here. So we'll look forward to talking to you again on Monday. Have a great weekend. Nick Dixon, Jennifer Chung over at CP24 and a bit of a different approach to things.
This has always been a work in progress, but first of all, we changed the timing of what Toronto is talking about, and that's because our friends at CP24 uh, go on the air at 5.30 now. So we used to do that at 5.15, and I get it. There's a famous book called Who Moved My Cheese? And a lot of you feel whenever we change anything on News Talk 1010, you want everything to happen at the usual time. So we're moving your cheese. Um, but we also switched up the technology so that there's no more of a delay, which used to be really frustrating. Uh, there was, honestly, sometimes it was two seconds and two and a half seconds a delay. So we couldn't actually interact in real time because they'd say something funny and I'd laugh three seconds later and it just, that, that really didn't work. Um, so, and also we got two anchors instead of one over at CP24. So I'm quite enjoying the whole thing. Um, so we did Jerry Diaz. Oh, how about this? I've got sort of a dual story for you today. And this is based on, I'm always very honest that, you know, I switch around and listen to people and I'm a fan of a couple of American talk show hosts and uh, Michael Smirkanish is one of them. So I'll get to the topic that I stole from him in just a moment, but it's related to something in the news. Imagine you go to your graduation ceremony as a university student and there's always going to be a speaker. Sometimes you luck out and it's like Oprah. And sometimes it's, you know, some nobody because this time of year, there are hundreds of universities trying to figure out who to hand honorary degrees to. And eventually you run out of celebrities. But at uh, Johns Hopkins yesterday, it was a mystery who the commencement speaker was going to be. And then up on the screen pops Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, who's kind of the man of the hour these days. I mean, with almost Churchillian overtones, here is a guy, everybody, certainly Vladimir Putin, assumed that the president of Ukraine, who's a former comedian and actor, when Russian tanks rolled over the border, that he'd hop on an American plane and get out of the country and pull a Charles de Gaulle. It's sort of like, I'm over here now, I'm safe, but I'll be on the radio, thank you very much. And instead, Vladimir Zelensky has stayed. They have tried to kill him. Uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is going miserably. Um, I was looking at some of the, the stats last night, actually, at my charity group, because they went to Ukraine to try and repair the faces of people that the Russians have um, assaulted and damaged. Um, and the Russians have lost tens of thousands of troops and they're actually on the back foot. So to have Volodymyr Zelensky as your commencement speaker, pretty cool. But that brings me to the point I heard in this discussion yesterday. And it was based on the writings and some videos posted by Scott Galloway, who's a university professor, but one of those sort of celebrity university professors. And this time of year, the theme, as he identifies, in commencement speeches is always follow your passion. Do, do take whatever it is you love and make that your life's work. And his message is, and I can't wait to hear what the pundits have to say about this this morning. He says, no, no, that's ridiculous. You know, um, just because you like kayaking, you're not going to be a professional kayaker. So get over it. And what he says is, what are you good at? Do that and then find a way to make yourself passionate about it. That is The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. 
You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.